Good morning. Thank you, Pastor John. Thank you, worship team. You know, I, I, I knew we had a strong connection uh, with Eden Prairie here, uh, with Prairie Hill. But that's a lot of people, which means I have to apologize to a bunch of you. You've already heard most everything I've ever had to say. So uh, uh, Molly, James, Tyler, Jess, sorry. You guys can just zone out if you want. And, or, or if I keel over dead, you can finish, I'm sure, because you've heard it a few times. This has been quite a year for the Blomquist family. I, I, I probably shouldn't have made that joke, keel over dead, should I? Shouldn't have, sorry about that, hon. Um, yeah, the last 15 months uh, have really been something. I, 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 I have died a few times, and, and that'll take the wind out of your sails for a bit. Uh, but God has allowed me to, uh, to keep going and to be doing different things. And uh, even though I've retired uh, from camp, it just wasn't fair to camp to have me out of commission you know, trying to run that that big place. Uh, it just made sense for, for me to retire, but Debbie is still working at camp. So uh, we're still pretty tied in there. Um, so yeah, it has been an amazing year. Uh, people often ask, so, so when you died those times, did you ever like see anything? Well, the answer is yes. But that's a whole different sermon. You'll have to have me back. Um, The answer is yes. And it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. And I'll give you just a little teaser for now. Um, When Christ takes you home... You will not be alone. There truly is a great cloud of witnesses. And uh, God's got me here for now, but I also can't wait to go home. So for the believer, that's a wonderful thing. Gospel of Mark. If you grab your Bibles and turn to Mark page one, we're actually going to fly through the first half of Mark. Uh, Mark is my favorite gospel. A big reason for that is because it's short. In one of my Bibles, it's only 17 pages. You can actually sit down and read the entire Gospel of Mark in one sitting, and it doesn't take that long, and I would challenge you to do that sometime. Uh, Mark, even though uh, Matthew shows up in our Bibles first, Mark was actually the first Gospel written. In fact, probably the first book of the New Testament written, even before all of Paul's letters. So Mark, uh, even though, and again, that's a different sermon, but even though Mark as a kid was kind of a loser, God really uses him and allows him to be the first one to write down the story of Jesus. Uh, if if you uh, go through Mark sometime, uh, uh, I, I I I challenge you to to go through it and to 
Well, at the end of each chapter, you'll probably end up with more questions than you do answers, which is why it's a gospel that I recommend to, uh, to non-believers who are curious about, uh, uh, about uh, Christ or for believers that are just getting started in their Bible study. Mark, Mark leaves you wanting more. In fact, if you go through Mark, you'll, you'll realize how much he leaves out. Now, for the first 40 to 60 years, there's going to be a whole bunch of people in, the, uh, in, in that first century that this is all they know about Jesus. And yet, they come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Even though, now, hang with me here, even though Mark leaves out some incredibly, what I think are important things, like Christmas, like virgin birth, Angels, shepherds, wise men, uh, magi. Mark leaves all of that out. Now, trust me, I'm very orthodox. I believe all of those are important. I believe in the virgin birth. But Mark doesn't bother to write all that down. Mark is the gospel of immediacy. He gets right to the point. Uh, How many of you are old enough to remember when missionaries would come to your church and they would show slides. Uh, kids, slides are like a mechanical version of PowerPoint. <laughs> oh wait, you don't even use PowerPoint anymore, do you? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, remember how the missionaries would show their slides and, and they'd point out, their whole group of people, and they'd point out one person and you know pray for him and you're going... Well, sure, I'll pray for him, but I want to know about the guy with the bones in his hair and, and the huge, you know, stuff around his neck and all of that. But Mark, every paragraph in Mark is like a slide, and he just goes right on by and leaves all sorts of questions. It was written to, uh, Mark wrote to uh, a Roman and Greek audience uh, we, we know that because he wrote in Greek. He didn't write in Aramaic. And there are several Aramaic phrases when he does use them, he stops to explain them. So that's, that's your introduction to the Gospel of Mark, my, my favorite Gospel. And what I want to do, and boy, if you're one that likes to fill in blanks on your notes there, you got a lot of blanks to fill in. See if, we, see if we can keep up. I want to fly through and look at a whole bunch of miracles that Mark records and note some important things about them. Right away in chapter 1, verses uh, you know, 21 to 27, we, we see this fascinating thing where demons, when Jesus is present, demons start screaming out, uh, chapter 1, verse 24, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus sternly says, shut up. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Does that seem odd to anybody? I mean, if the enemy is advertising for you, Isn't that a a good thing? And yet Jesus doesn't let them speak. Be quiet, he sternly tells them. 
and then commands them to come out of the, the, the man. In, still in chapter 1, verse 32, we have the exact same thing happening. Uh, well, we can jump down to verse 34. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because... Because they knew who he was? Is anyone scratching their heads at this point? Wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, the demons know who he is. They're shouting out who he is, but he won't let them speak because they know who he is. Well, I'm confused. Look at verse 35 Uh, in chapter 1. Uh, the, the disciples kind of had to find where Jesus was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary praise, place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they, explained, they, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Verse 38, Jesus is replied, Let's go somewhere else. Wait, what? Okay, Jesus obviously knows nothing about marketing. I mean, if the enemy is explaining who you are to people, and if everyone, no, 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 we we really ought to be collecting names and addresses and phone numbers here, and, and, and so we can get this mailing list going. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Yeah, I know. Let's go somewhere else. Very confusing. We're still in chapter 1, but look at verse 40. Jesus heals a guy that, uh, that's been blind for a while. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Not blind. Uh, he's had leprosy. Look at verse 43. After Jesus heals him, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Okay, how are you going to hide that? You're going to go home. And your wife's going to say, Honey, honey, what happened? Nothing. See that you don't tell this to anyone But go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses command for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Hang on to that thought. We're going to come back to that because that's going to play again. I don't know about you, but I find it incredibly confusing. In chapter 2. Uh, you, you know the story very, very well. Chapter 2, the first five verses. We have the healing, sort of, of the paralytic. Let's read it. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. So many gathered that there was no room left, in, not, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now some men came bringing to him a paralytic and carried by four of them. Since they could not get him 
to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. You know this story inside and out. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now think about it for a moment. Is that what he was there for? No. No, he came to be healed. They've heard about all these healings. He's heard about all these healings. And and his friends brought him to Jesus expecting him to be healed. And Jesus doesn't heal him. At least not at first. Hmm. Let's keep going on that. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Listen to this question. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And he got up and took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. Okay, back up to that question. Jesus asked them, which is easier, to heal him or to, for, or to say your sins are forgiven? What? <laughs> If you ask me, I'd say it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than it would be to heal somebody. But I don't have the perspective of what's coming ahead. It cost Jesus everything to be able to forgive sin. So which is harder, to say, take up your mat and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven? I have no concept, do I, of what it cost Jesus to be able to say your sins are forgiven. Hmm. Look at uh, chapter 3, just as sort of a side note. Uh, Starting in verse 2, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Uh, Jump down to verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill him. This is only chapter 3. And already Jesus has created such a stir that the leaders, the Pharisees and the Herodians are saying, we got to kill them. We got to get rid of them. That's just a sort of a sidelight. It's only chapter three. Well, chapter three, verse nine. Going on to verse 12, we we see the same thing. Jesus is going about, he's healing, he's preaching, 
He's casting out demons. Look at verse 11. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. We kind of take a pause in chapter four where we've got a bunch of parables, some teaching of of Jesus. And then we come to chapter five, another story that you know inside and out. It's the story of Legion. Chapter 5, they went across the lake to the region of the Gezerene, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. Oh my word. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Again, you know the story. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. Remember that. There's a herd of pigs. Lock that away. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, which explains so many things to me. Apparently, animals can be demon-possessed. I have known a couple of horses. (laughs) That, yeah. Oh, now that makes sense. Jess, I don't know if you've ever cast a demon out of a horse, but we might want to think about that. Hmm. The demons begged Jesus, send us amongst the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went to the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down a steep bank and into the lake where they were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave the region. Why would they ask him to leave? I've often heard that it's because, well, he just destroyed their livelihood. I don't think that's why. I think they understood who they were and who Jesus was. And they were saying, you are too holy for us. Remember, these are Samaritans. What do you remember about the Samaritans? Half-breeds. Jews hate them. 
because they're not fully Jewish. Gentiles hate them because they're partly Jewish. Uh, They can't even worship at the temple. They are scum of the earth, and they know it. And Jesus, you are too holy. We, 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 We shouldn't be around you. So they begged him to plead. Uh, they, they begged him to, to leave their, their country. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged with him. Jesus did not let him, uh, to, to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the 10 cities around there, how much Jesus had done for them and all the people were amazed. Now, wait a minute. Demons are proclaiming who he is. Now, shut up. Don't tell anybody. People are healed, and he says, now don't tell anybody. Oh, Legion, you're fine. Go home. Tell your family. In fact, go around to the ten cities around here. What's different? If we continue in chapter 5, look at verse 21 again. A story you know so well. When Jesus had again crossed over the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And you remember what happens. Jesus gets interrupted. Hey, who touched me? He remembers his disciples are like, uh, everybody? No, who touched me? Jesus, there's, look at the crowd. And, and Jesus pursues, no, no. And finally a woman says, it, it was me. She had an issue of blood for 12 years. She was unclean for 12 years. She made all sorts of others around her unclean for 12 years. And she had hoped that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, she could be healed. And she was. And when she confesses that it was me, he tells her, woman, You're healed. Your sins are forgiven. Now, meanwhile, some of Jarius' servants come and find him. Jarius, I'm, 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 I'm sorry. Jarius, don't, don't bother the master. She's gone. She's dead. All right, before I move on, 
Remember how we said the, the leper that was healed then had to go and report to the temple official and make a sacrifice? She's going to have to do the same thing. And who is the synagogue official? It's Jarius. Can you sense the tension there? She's going to have to go to the temple, make a sacrifice, explain that I was, I, I, I was healed. I know. And you killed my daughter. You delayed the master and my daughter died because you got healed. That's what's going to happen That's the tension that's going on. But Jesus says, uh, no. No, let's go to your house. Continuing in chapter 5, verse, oh, I don't know. Verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jarius, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter's dead, they said. Don't bother the master anymore. Verse 36, Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. Okay, we need to take another little side note. How do you go from weeping and wailing to laughing? Again, let's let's put it in a Middle Eastern context. These are professional mourners. You hire them. It's like now, you know, if we're at a funeral, uh, we might have tons and tons of flowers. Oh, look at all the people and all the businesses that that thought of that family, and there's tons and tons of... In, in that day, it would have been tons and tons of mourners. Jarius could have afforded quite a few. So they're professional mourners. Jesus comes. She's not dead. She's just asleep, and they burst out laughing. Jesus puts them all out. Uh, verse 40. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and said to her, Talatha kom, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. Duh. And he gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this. And he told told them, give her something to eat. Wait, 
There's all these professional mourners. There are people that have come and said, Jarius, she's dead. Jesus raises her from the dead. Now listen, let, don't tell anybody. Okay, again, how do you hide that? And two, why would you? We've got a lot to sort out here. Don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. Demons, shut up. Oh, Legion, go ahead. Tell your family. In fact, go around to the 10 cities here. Raise a girl from the dead. Now, don't tell anybody. What is going on? I told you, remember the pigs. We've already mentioned it. When Jesus healed Legion, he wasn't in Israel. He was in Samaria. A group of people who understood their need and their problems. What were the Jews looking for? A king. Oh, you guys, we think this guy might be the Messiah. Come, watch, look what he can do. He can heal. Here, Jesus, do it again, do it again. You, you with the withered hand, come. Jesus, do it again, do it again. What a dog and pony show. In fact, we probably can even have a revolt and this guy can bring people back from the dead. We, at long last, are going to get rid of Rome. We are going to kick Roman butt and we will be on top again the way it was meant to be. They're looking for a king, a military ruler. What was Jesus looking for? He's looking for those that know their need, that know their need of a savior, of a redeemer. Jesus is looking for those who understand they need a change in their life, not how Jesus can change everybody else. We sang about it. Christ, be magnified in me. Start with me. And if I and you truly know our need, we will be looking for a Savior who will change us, and I'm not going to worry about you. Oh, you got a lot of things that need changing. Just ask anybody. They'll give you the list. But I want to focus on Jesus changing me. So why are you following Jesus? Is it to champion a cause? Is it political power? We kind of have moved that direction, I'm afraid, in a lot of, in a lot of the Christian church, demanding our rights, demanding that we be heard politically. rather than looking at what does Jesus want to change in me? And you know what? If Jesus is changing things in me, he's probably changing things in you 
He's working on something in your life, and I need to provide a ton of grace as God works in your life too. I need to be encouraging and patient and forgiving and full of grace because I know I messed up and he's working on me and I need to extend that grace to you. And is that what Prairie Hill is known for? Is Prairie Hill known as a place where people are being changed and a place full of grace? See, if I talk about what Jesus is changing in me, no one can dispute that. My testimony, uh, you, you can't deny. This is what Jesus has done. This is what I've experienced uh, in my life as Jesus has changed me. You know what? Your testimony is the most powerful thing you got. The Apostle Paul the guy that moved with popes and kings and princes and was a genius, one of the finest minds in the first century, when he stood before King Agrippa and uh, uh, Festus, and I suspect before Pharaoh as well, what did he share when he had the whole crowd in Jerusalem as he's standing on the stairway? What did Paul share? Did he share with them the book of Romans, the incredible theological treatise of his? No. He shared with them that I was on my horse and a light knocked me off and I heard Jesus say, Paul, Paul, follow me. The most powerful thing he had was his testimony. And we at Prairie Hill need to be known as a people that have a testimony that Jesus is changing me. There's all sorts of incredible miracles. We've seen many of them. But the most powerful thing I got is that this is how Jesus changed me. And if he's changing me, he's probably working in your life too. And I will extend to you the same amount of grace. And that will become so attractive to Eden Prairie. that They'll say, man, I got to go see what's going on in that church with those people. Let's pray that that is what happens. Is that we will be known as a church of grace and a church where Jesus is changing people, starting with us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you are so gracious to us. Father, I thank you for the miracles that you have done and many that we have been able to see and experience ourselves. But I pray, Jesus, that that will never distract us from what you want to change in each of us individually. So, Father, we give you permission 
to have your way, to do what you need to do to draw us closer and closer and closer to you. Amen.